Hello. Hello. Uh, I'm, you know what I'm trying to do, Don? I'm trying to develop like a, a a consistent hello. This is how we know the podcast is starting because I'm saying hello in the same way that I always do. Because there are lots of podcasts where I listen to where that that happens, and uh, and maybe it's I, I just tried that one out. How, how what do you think? I like it. I like it. I I it reminded me. It reminded me of something. Um, oh, you know what? We talked about this before. It reminds me of the old dude from the British uh, comedy, uh, Are You Being Served? Oh. <laughs> Captain Hello. Peacock? No, no, no. The, the really old dude that owns the, 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 oh. the grocery store, the department store, he says, you've all done very well. Yes. Hello. Hello. I, I thought it, it also kind of sounded like um, – uh, there's a, a Seinfeld episode where Jerry Seinfeld had decided that he was going to talk, I think, like the Queen or something. <laughs> it was kind of like, hello. Um, I don't know. I'm uh, Don, I'm I'm hurting today. I am I'm actually I'm in pain. Oh, I I, I thought you said you were hurting like well, uh, like hurting. you had sheep and you were like running them around your office. That as well. Um, <laughs> but I am I am physically in uh, in some pain. I'm I'm over exaggerating it a little bit, but I. Um, wait, wait, wait. So you're not just exaggerating it. I'm over-exaggerating it. I'm over-exaggerating. Okay. I'm, yeah. It is, it's more than just an exaggeration. I'm going to send you a text of a picture of my chest. Oh, no. Yeah, you're going to like it. Oh, like gosh. It. I got to, let me, let me figure out how to do this here. Um, it's, this, this makes for wonderful podcasting. Um, Okay, it's coming. Uh, it's coming your way, and it's it's pretty uh, it's pretty awesome. Um, so so last night, I uh, as I do, um, I played some hockey, and uh, this is it's one of the things I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, with my uh, affinity for for hockey. Oh, I thought you were going to ask me if I was familiar with hockey, and I was going to say that's the one. That's the one on the on that's on the ice uh, with the little uh, the the black. Uh, Rubber things with the right? picks, with the yeah. Uh, yeah, 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 with the guitar picks. <laughs> um, I, I uh, there, there's a there's a thing that happens sometimes in hockey where uh, so so you got these sticks and these sticks have blades that are um, somewhat thin and there are seams around the the rink because uh, there are these these white boards where you bounce the puck up that keeps the keeps the puck on the ice surface. And uh, every once in a while, um, you, you get your stick stuck in a seam. And so as I was going for a puck last night, I got my stick stuck and jammed in a seam. And usually when that happens, you, you don't do what I ended up doing last night, which was almost impaling myself uh, on my stick. And as you can see from the picture I sent you, uh, which I'll let you describe, uh, to, oh, to the ow, viewers. Oh, Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I was going to not, I was going to not look at this and then I pulled up my phone and there it was. Um, yeah, you should look I at didn't it. have to unlock my phone or anything. That's, uh, that's really, uh, that's, uh, that's the graphic. I have a wound that is, it is a scrape from, uh, Ugh. my, my stick scraping along my body. Uh, as I almost uh, fully impaled myself. Um, See, that, that's why I only do safe things like walk my dog, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh, I don't have my I don't have my bell at home. Nicely done. 
Um, so I thought I, I'll, I'll give you the, uh, the full story here. I, I did this thing, uh, where my stick got jammed and, uh, the, the guy who I was playing against happens to be someone who I also coach with. And I think I might've let out some guttural yell because he was like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm fine. And, and I skated back to the bench and, um, and then I was a little bit tender for a couple of minutes and I went and played uh, the rest of the game. Cause that's, I mean, that's what hockey players do, Don. They're just, uh, they're tough. I understand. Yeah. It's, it's all part, it's all part of, uh, the, the persona. Um, and then as I was driving home, well, actually after the game, and as I went to get, uh, undressed and took my shirt off, I was like, Oh, that's a lot nastier than I thought it was. And then as I was driving home, every time I like coughed or breathed, I oh. was having, it was, you know, some pain. And then I went to bed. I, I took a couple of, um, acetaminophen and, and went to bed mm-hmm. and I woke up this morning and, and it's, and it's okay. I don't have, uh, I'm pretty sure that I don't, I did not break any ribs. Uh, but the, uh, yeah, the stick uh, jabbed me, uh, essentially right in my ribs. So, so yeah, that's, um, I'm leaning on, um, my not normal podcasting side. Uh, yeah, I'm working through, I'm working through the pain for the listeners. Uh, but I'm, I'm talking, uh, I normally lean to, uh, the right and today I'm leaning to the left, uh, to, to talk to you. Okay. Yeah. Well, there we go. I'm, I'm glad that you figured out a, uh, a good, a good accommodation. I, uh, when, when I podcast Ben, I do not lean, I stand up straight. Um, although I do turn my head slightly, uh, to the microphone and, and the microphone is always mounted, uh, uh, to the right. So I turn my head slightly to the right and, uh, <clears throat> and cough. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. I hope I hope the checkup goes well for you. Uh, oh, speaking of coughing, I got I got sick, Ben. I thought you were going to tell me that you were hurting because your because your cold got worse. I sat next to you last week. Oh my gosh! I, I don't know if you know this. Yeah. Um, I don't. I'm I'm pretty sure that I can't blame you for getting me sick, but I did get sick, and uh, oh, the it was that was really bad on Tuesday, which I had to teach most of the day. Um, and yesterday was pretty rough, but uh, today uh, today I'm on the mend. I'm so, so sorry. So. Ah, it's okay. I, I probably wasn't you. It might <laughs> it might have been me. Um, I also so so yeah. We were together uh, last week. Uh, I mean, a week ago, over over a week ago, and uh, I was I, I, I had a terrible cold. I, I didn't have a. Um, I wasn't like feverish. I didn't. Uh, I just didn't feel great, and I couldn't. You know, I couldn't. My nose. I was all stuffed up. Um, that this is like the longest I've been sick with something like this for a while. I mean, it's, I'm, I'm almost, I'm over 12 days and I'm, my voice is coming back. I'm feeling much better, but I'm still stuffed up uh, as well. And, um, the lovely Danielle, uh, my, uh, my podcasting, uh, wife, no, I'm the podcaster. My wife, uh, is also ill, um, from, Oh yeah, I think we're all, uh, I blame my kids and you can blame my Uh, kids as well. Yeah, they're a little little germ magnets. Oh. They go out in the world and they suck up those germs and they bring them back and spew them all over the house. So yeah, yeah, it's ter- they're terrible, yeah. terrible. Things. I mean, my, my dogs are disgusting, but uh, they don't. I don't think uh, we share. I mean, we probably share a microbiota, but uh, most of the things that make dogs sick don't make people sick, and and vice versa. So yeah, less. Oh, I think no. what you're saying is less children, more dogs. Well, what I'm <laughs> what I'm saying is, uh, yeah, I, you know, kids are for the young. Ben, oh. when you're young and healthy, that's when you need kids. I'm not. I'm not feeling particularly young. Um, so maybe maybe some other young people want want my kids. No, my kids are great. They're awesome. Um, and and Don, I just want to give you the uh, 
uh, coaching hockey update. Uh, the season uh, is uh, is half over, so I'm I'm oh. yeah. So we're we're moving we're moving the uh, towards the end. We will be finished in uh, the first week of March. Yeah. So this is the this is the hump day of the hockey week. It is. It is. Yeah. Of the of the hockey March, season. Yeah. March is a long time away. It is, and it's and we're halfway there. <laughs> oh Jesus! Yeah, uh, I, uh, I'm you know I'm I'm looking forward to December uh, 21st because then the days start to get longer. Um, although it is a ni- it's a nice sunny day here in New Jersey, but I, I, I you know I, as a kid I used to love this time of year because my birthday comes and Christmas comes and and all of that. But now the older I get, um, the more I think I have seasonal affective disorder. I just really I just really don't like the cold and I really don't like the dark. So uh, yeah, I. We've been we've been really lucky weather wise. It's been beautiful here, and then yesterday it got it got really cold. And we, in the lovely city of Oaks, uh, Raleigh, North Carolina, are expected on two days this week to uh, maybe get some uh, some snow, and in oh. fact, up to an inch over those two days, but with uh, un- unlikely to have any accumulation. So it's an inch, but not really an inch because it's all going to melt. It's going to melt, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, but there's already, I mean, I've, I've received multiple emails from places that I go to and things that I do saying, hey, heads up, this weekend we might all be closed. Go get your bread, get your milk, get your eggs, um, and uh, you know, stay, stay in your house because uh, the snow is a coming. Mm, my goodness. I know, I know. Um, we, uh, we've also here in, in my house, um, had, uh, a lot of visitors or two visitors over the last couple of weeks. And just, uh, the last, uh, day or so we've, we've gotten back to our, our normal, um, uh, schedule, but yeah, we had, uh, my, my father-in-law and my mother-in-law were both here, uh, over the Thanksgiving weekend or Thanksgiving holiday. And then my mother-in-law stayed, uh, up until Monday of this week. So, you know, I, you, you kind of, uh, it's great. I love having guests and it's, it's awesome, but also I love having a really consistent like day and night. Um, and sometimes those two things don't, don't fit together. Cause you know, you, when people stay, people stay, it's you, you do, you entertain, right? Like that's part yeah. of the, part yeah. of the thing. Yeah, and it, and it's it's fun to have them, but it, it is disruptive to uh, to schedules. And I do like I do like uh, things to be routine and and schedules to not be disrupted. So I mean, I understand. Yeah, it's good to have your family there. But uh, yeah, so how'd that visit go? It was good. It was it was good. great. Yeah, we had a good we had a good time. Uh, and uh, I I think I mentioned in previous podcasts that Thanksgiving my in my adopted home of the United States of America or my United Shirts of America. Um, is, uh, is my favorite holiday by far, uh, because in, in, there's no other holiday that, that I remember growing up where the buildup beforehand, you, you're like, it's a normal day. And then the holiday happens on the first day. And then you have these, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday of recovery after the actual event of Thanksgiving, which is, it is the most relaxing, uh, holiday of, of any of the holidays and uh, that I've experienced. I love huh. it. So more, more relaxing than say Christmas or something. Yeah. Yeah. Here, like Christmas in, in Canada, I think is much, is, I don't know. It's like a much bigger thing. Like people shut down for a couple of weeks, at least, you know, when I was, when I was growing up, that's my sort of recollection of my, you know, my dad was a teacher and I I'd be off and he'd be off. And, and those two weeks there was like, 
nothing going on. Um, but, but here, here in the U S I find it a little bit different where, where Thanksgiving is, is a bigger deal because people work in between Christmas and new year's here. And, and it's, yeah, I don't know. It's just, uh, it's got a different feel to it where hmm. I, I, you know, it like I, I received almost no email from Tuesday before Thanksgiving until the Monday after Thanksgiving. And when Christmas rolls around, I, you know, the, it falls on a Monday this year. I'm sure Tuesday, somebody's going to go to work and have a question about food safety that, mm. that'll pop mm-hmm. up. But the, your, your university is closed. Oh yeah. Time, my university right? yeah. is closed, but, but Don, yeah. but people still send you email, Ben. Yeah. My, my email's not closed. My email is open, wide open. You get, you, you know, you get a lot of interesting email, Ben. I do get, I do get interesting email. Should we talk about my, my should, inter- interesting email? Let's let let's do because, uh, and actually, we can turn it into a broader topic of biases and what do we, uh, what do we do about our biases or what what if anything can we do about our biases? So how do you want to how do you want to get into this? Why don't you uh, give me your? You get, why don't you uh, introduce this? Because I, okay. I sent you, I, I let you in on a conversation today, um, and yeah, go you you take it. Yeah. So as as is something that you and I will do from time to time is we will uh, 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 BCC each other on messages that that relate to our mutual uh, areas of interest. And um, yeah, let me let me find uh, let me find the message. Um, so that we can, um, I can properly represent this. Um, so, so basically the way that I, I, you know, it's really, it's really helpful that, um, mail likes to collapse messages, but it's not helpful (laughs) if you want to read them. So, um, so yeah, so you, uh, Ben were, um, interviewed, uh, by the, as we call them in the business, the Hopo, uh, the Huffington Post, um, uh, for an article entitled, How Does Listeria Get Into Veggies? And this was an article uh, actually that appeared uh, in June uh, of 2017. So this is rather, uh, rather old news. And um, let me, uh, let me find, so, so I yeah, think let me find where you're I'm quoted. Gonna, yeah, I, go ahead. I'm going to give you a little, like, so I think, okay, I'll, let me, uh, let me jump in. So I was, I was interviewed, um, it, kind of interestingly in, in 2015. Oh, okay. yeah. So this is, this, the, the story actually really starts in 2015. Yeah. yeah. And it was, uh, I was interviewed by live science, um, which is, I think they used to be owned by Yahoo, but it's, it's a science kind of daily, um, uh, uh, uh site and they they get syndicated and um yesterday so this is what's a little bit confusing uh there, there's there's a massive outbreak of listeria um going on in south africa and we'll we'll talk about that um, a uh, little okay. bit more um but the huffington post south african edition reprinted portions of my interview from 2015 um on December yesterday, December 6th, 
2017. And what's weird, if we, you'll see this in show notes, the order of the date and months, I guess, follows a little different convention in South Africa oh, because okay. it is the 6th of December, 2017, not uh, June 12th, oh. 2017, which is what I thought initially as well. Because I looked okay. at this and I was like, weird, this is all coming up at a very odd time. But anyway, oh, that's right. the background. So, this, so right. Yeah. So this is this is uh, HuffingtonPost.co.za. Okay, not which, the which pizza. Is, which is which is, which is South <laughs> Africa, where they apparently put uh, the date, the month, uh, the day, and the year instead of the. Uh, we, they put the they put the the day they they put it the the way that we should do it in right. the United States, right? Because if if you think about it, you want the smallest increment to be first, and then the next increment, and then the next. So it really should be day, month, year. That's the logical way. But as Americans, we have somehow got it month, day, year. And so when you write it as a number and also when you're within the first, uh, what, uh, 12 days, first 12 days of the month, it's ambiguous, right? right. So, so six, 12, 2017, um, um, could be the 12th of, uh, June, or it could be, uh, the, uh, 6th of December. And of course this is because it's South Africa and because they do things a sensible way, it is actually the 12th of December, which is, which is yesterday. Right. Oh, did I lose you? No, I'm here. Okay, good. <laughs> you were just I, doing, did I, did I you were just, just doing the setup. With my, I was just, yeah, I was yeah. sorry. Yeah, so I just wanted to explain about dates because that's why people <laughs> tune into this podcast, Ben, is they want to know our opinions about dates. Date safety convention pot talk. Okay, so, um, yeah, so I was, so, so this Listeria in uh, South Africa um, is, has, I, I don't know how much coverage outside of our weird little circle of food safety nerds this has had uh but it was uh we we picked it up a couple of days ago on barf blog and it was in um food safety news uh but but there is this massive uh, outbreak 36 deaths uh over 550 illnesses uh linked to listeria in south africa that goes back to the start of 2017 um and at at this point, um, there was there were a couple of press conferences on um, Tuesday this week uh, about this, and at this point, it, it just seems like, hey, there's a massive outbreak. Um, we we don't know what the source is. There's no no source attribution. So my guess is, my 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 um, interview from 2015, where we where I was asked about how listeria gets into vegetables uh which was the that out that um interview was not a result of an outbreak but it was a result of um a, a recall of of products right. um and and so someone from live science uh Rachel Retner called me up and said how does how could you get listeria into um into fresh vegetables so i talked about it and then in in this interview in 2015 about vegetables um i was asked about what other foods might have been linked to listeria or listeria contamination. And so I responded, um, and, and again, this is going back a couple of years, so I don't remember exactly what I said, but what the article says I said was uh, other foods that have been historically linked with listeria outbreaks include raw milk, unpasteurized soft cheeses, and deli meats, Chapman said. 
Right. Um, which, which is, you know, that's a reasonable answer. I think if you went and talked to your average food safety expert on the street and you said what foods have been linked to listeria outbreaks in the past, that's a reasonably likely list of things to talk about. Yeah. And it's not all encompassing. Right. Like there are other foods. And in fact, in 2015, if I was really on the ball, I would have said something about uh, caramel candy apples. I would have talked about frozen vegetables, maybe being uh, of, of interest and and maybe talked a little more about the difference between finding a pathogen and that being a public health risk. But, yeah, I mean, that's the that's kind of the setup. So so my how this turns and why this is all relevant today is because this morning I received a message um, saying, and it's not from a person who said that they we could release their name. So I'm nope. probably not going to do that. Nope. Um, but let's say it's, let's just say it's someone who has strong opinions um, about um, uh, raw milk. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, who, someone who, who uh, we've interacted with, uh, in the history of the the podcast as well, um, or you know, over over some some other stuff. So anyway, got a message saying Ben saw the article in in the Huff Post. Um, in the article, you failed to mention listeria outbreaks from pasteurized milk. For perspective on the problem of listeriosis in milk and pasteurization, see this recent journal article. Um, and I, I was uh, provided with a citation from a paper in Journal of Food Protection entitled Responding to Bioterror Concerns by Increasing Milk Pasteurization Temperature Would Increase Estimated Annual Deaths from Listeriosis. Um, and then there was a, you know, uh, some uh, cut and paste, um, more targeted information from that article saying conservative estimates of the effect of pasteurizing all fluid milk at 82C rather than 72C are that annual listeriosis deaths from the consumption of this milk would increase from 18 to 680, a 38-fold increase. So my response was, thank you. One of the challenges I find when responding to questions by journalists is to fit all the info that's out there into the discussion. There certainly have been listeriosis linked to many other foods, including pasteurized milk, candy apples, frozen vegetables, and ice cream. Um, and I, you know, I, I thought I was pretty cordial. The way that I said thank you just now in the podcast was not the tone that I was writing it in. <laughs> it really wasn't. It was really like, no, that's that's cool. Thanks. Yeah, I I, I agree. Um, there are foods. Uh, the response was, but why do you single out raw milk without saying anything about pasteurized milk? In fact, the risk associated with listeria appears to be greater with pasteurized milk based on the record. And so now I'm in, right? Like now, right. I'm, you know, now I'm, okay, well, let's, let's have a conversation. So then I respond again. Hi, I mentioned not only raw milk, but raw milk, cheeses, deli meats, and it, the entire interview was really about vegetables. It was in response to a recall of vegetables due to LM positive sample results in 2015, which appears to be reprinted as, as relevant. Not uh, singling any one item out other than maybe vegetables. I'll be careful to highlight many more foods in the future. In my estimation, based on the paper you referenced, as well as a couple of others, um, and I provide another uh, paper from Journal of Food Protection, which is a quantitative risk assessment of listeriosis due to consumption of raw milk, and a uh, risk profile by New Zealand um, MPI, which is I think is the Ministry of Primary Industry. Uh, yep. And uh, a, a nice a nice piece of work that they did on list, list, listeria monocytogenes in raw milk. 
And I say, yeah, the risk of listeriosis in raw milk and pasteurized milk is very low, but not zero. Relatively the same as with Listeria monocytogenes illnesses from produce. And what I was trying to convey was it's all pretty low risk. It's not to say that it doesn't happen, but these these aren't the, um, you know, there's nothing in my, in, my, uh, in my interview where I'm kind of like pointing a finger at raw milk as, as this is the only place that you get Listeria. Um, I say that raw milk certainly carries a higher risk. Uh, being the source of Campylobacter, Stack, and Salmonella-linked illnesses compare, compared to Listeria monocytogenes, but that's another discussion. And outside the scope of the article, which is about Listeria monocytogenes in vegetables. And thanks again for your comments. Oh, uh, the 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 discourse continues on. Well, and and so and so, let me just say yeah. here. Um, well, let me ask you a question. It says you say here in the message. Um, I'll be careful to highlight many more foods in the future. Were, is that true? Will you really be careful to highlight many more foods in the future? Because I feel like me, you would probably just shoot from the hip and go from your memory. Um, and you wouldn't, in fact, be careful. I mean, it's nice that you would say that. That's a very nice thing to say. But I, I uh, you know, I, I would be careful about making promises like that. I, w- I didn't make a promise. I just said I'll be careful to highlight yeah. many more in the future. Okay. And, and I might, I, I, oh, this, might. I, well, and as, and especially if I had an interview today, if someone called me about this listeria outbreak in South Africa, I might talk about many more foods right now. Cause I'm going to remember this because this, this did lead to <laughs> multiple email messages this morning in between eight. AM and 10 p 10 AM. So I was, so I'm, it is a little more, uh, in my mind. I might, I may, I, I will, Don, I stand beside my, beside behind my comments, uh, that I will be more careful, uh, or I will, uh, highlight, uh, this in the future. I'll be careful to highlight more. Um, but I didn't, I mean, truthfully, I didn't say which, which they would be, uh, it might be pasteurized milk, which there have been uh, illnesses and outbreaks, or it might be, uh, you know, frozen vegetables. Or, I don't know. Well, and in, and in fact, um, kind of the way that it works in food safety is you tend to think about the most recent problems because that's where the focus is. Now, if we had absolutely um, like, for example, um, your uh, your court, your correspondent here uh, notes uh, a quote unquote massive outbreak of antimicrobial resistant salmonellosis uh, drink uh, linked to trace to pasteurized milk um, uh, from t- uh, t- uh, 1987. So, you know, certainly I. I think if you were going to talk about listeria in frozen vegetables, you should talk about pasteurized milk and salmonella from 1987. Absolutely. Yes. And this, do you, so on this, just to sidetrack a little bit, do you know, friend of the podcast, um, uh, uh, Tom Ford, uh, kind of knows a little bit about this outbreak. Cause he, no. Yeah. So this outbreak, I believe I didn't go look at, at this, but I think this is linked to, um, um, pasteurized milk from the Chicago area in 1985 or 86 and Tom Ford, um, you know, as, as the story goes and maybe he can, uh, if this filters to him, he'll, uh, he'll clarify it. But, um, he worked for the company that was linked to this massive outbreak and he was, oh my uh, goodness. yeah, but he, he, like, he just, he, this was his first job and he had, Joined this company like within a month or so, they had this massive outbreak. Um, yeah, I believe I believe this is the this is the same one. It's the same. It was salmonella. It was like it, it was linked to a dairy in in the Chicago area. 
too. Yep. Yeah. Well, and, and, yeah, and certainly I, I don't have access because I'm not logged into the university website. I'm not, I don't have access to the full text of the article, but um, the authors are, some of the authors are affiliated with uh, public health in Illinois. So it yep. seems likely. So, so anyway, um, yes, people get sick from lots of different foods, pasteurized milk, unpasteurized milk, raw milk, cheeses. Um, I was then offered in this correspondence to have a debate. Um, you know, and it would be fun to join you in a debate. Um, but uh, the start of this message uh, it was really where I got engaged in this conversation, or at least mm-hmm. led to mm-hmm. my final message. Um, ben, your bias is apparent. You point the finger as raw milk. I think that's sick at raw milk as having a listeria problem. Will giving pasteurized milk a pass? And since you bring up salmonella, let's acknowledge that pasteurized milk was linked to a massive outbreak. Don, I don't know. I, I don't think that's super fair um, to say. I think I do have a bias, and I will address that in a second. But I, I don't think the, the, my entire – I just mentioned people get sick from raw milk, from listeria and raw milk, oh, you know, and that, that it's been a source, and it has been. I don't uh, – I didn't highlight pasteurized milk. Um, because I think you did mention pasteurized ice cream. Now you didn't specifically call out that the ice cream was pasteurized. Um, but you know, there's not really anybody, I don't know if anybody is eating raw milk ice cream. I don't think so. So certainly you did, you did mention ice cream, Ben. I did. And that, that to me seems like you're, you're kind of throwing pasteurized foods under the bus there, Ben. I am. I am Don. You're right. I'm an equal opportunity offender. Also, I, I want to remind you that this entire article is about vegetables, (laughs) So, <laughs> oh, come on. So, you're bringing it back to that again? Again, again. So, the response uh, from uh, you know, the next response was to make it. Uh, oh, sorry. Uh, my response was thank you. Your bias is equally apparent. I'm happy to debate, although all I really want is for folks to be able to make their own risk choices with an understanding of risks and benefits. And then it gets, it devolves a little more. The response I get from uh, our. Uh, our, the, our friend is to make informed choices about food risk. People need balanced information. When you single out raw milk without acknowledgement of risk from pasteurized milk, that is bias. So where's my bias? And the last message that was sent, which has not been responded to is hi, I recognize my biases every day. This is me and state them up front in many fora, including barf blog and food safety talk. My lens is on risk of foodborne illness. No food is zero risk. Outbreaks and illnesses happen all the time, sometimes from raw milk products, sometimes from pasteurized milk, sometimes from frozen vegetables. Overall, our data on source attribution is limited. Message received. I'll be sure to provide your information to a journalist next time I receive a call about LM and vegetables so you can share info related to pasteurized milk. <laughs> Which was the best, the best line ever. <laughs> well, I, 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 here, here's the thing. I'm, I'm about – having a an open dialogue i think we're i think that this conversation after the first message back and forth it was at an impasse right we we mm-hmm. we are seeing things with different lenses and i that does not bother me that that in fact is is something that i i celebrate that that i you know whatever whatever my message gets out there from 2015 that becomes still relevant today that someone picks that up and is like, you know what? I just want to highlight that I think a little bit differently than this. And I, that's, that's awesome. And that's where I kind of 
you know, wanted it to end. Um, and then the conversation kept going and it just became clearer and clearer that we were both coming at this from very different areas and there's not likely, especially over an email exchange this morning, we're not going to arrive at some, some level of consensus. And that's totally cool. Like that's, that's fine for me too. Um, and, and I, you know, I, I am, I, I, I do want to talk a little bit more about biases here because one of the things that I have trouble with is um, many, many folks in either the world of academia or the land grant um, you know, system or cooperative extension will, will often talk about um, we, we should be the source of unbiased information and, and there isn't in, in at least I, I think in, in, in our, uh, area of food safety, there, are, everybody's got a bias. The messages are biased. There's, there's an agenda behind whatever's out there. And, and the bias may very, very much be you as a consumer don't know nearly as much as I do. And I'm going to tell you something about it so you can maybe change your behavior, but there's a, there's an inherent bias there, right? Like there's a, there's a bias of, I have, I have some level of truth behind what I'm, what I'm saying. So I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty open. I, I do have biases. I try, uh, you know, and like I said in, in the message to, um, the person who sent me the email, I try really hard every day to recognize what my biases, biases are, and and let people know about them. I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't pretend to be unbiased. Yeah, and I, I. You know, I was thinking about this and how 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 you know, am I biased and how could I recognize that? And I, I, I really, I'm. Sh I am absolutely sure that I am biased. I have a. And I think all of us have biases. I think we are all because they're. If the if if our biases were really apparent to us, we would change them, right? So I think that we have it because the nature of a bias is that it's that it's something that you don't see. That's part of the reason why you're biased. And so I think that we have it because of just the nature of what it is, we have an inherent inability to see it. But what I do try to do very carefully when I'm talking either in a classroom situation or or to a reporter or, or, you know, to a student or whatever is talk about, well, this is what the data say, right? Like these are the data. And then now I'm going to, now I'm going to step away from those and I'm going to give you my opinion on something. And, and, and my opinion is informed by the data, but I, you know, you might have look at the same data and you might reach a different opinion. And so I always try to, and I'm, and I'm pretty good at figuring out like, okay, what, what is like simple statement of fact, uh, versus opinion. And we can say, well, uh, salmonella has been linked to pasteurized milk in 1987 and listeria was linked to frozen vegetables in, you know, 2016. And there's a big outbreak of listeria in South Africa. And we don't know the cause yet, right? Like those are all truthful things. But then my opinion is, I think that a zero tolerance for listeria is a bad idea, right? right, right. Um, th that's my opinion. I mean, th that's a policy decision. That's a risk management decision. That's not, uh, that's not something that is, is supposed it could be that just that that opinion can be informed by science, but people in let's say I don't know FDA regulatory agencies might reach a different opinion there. Right, right. So. Well, and I, I guess I mean, I, I I think I I don't know. I do believe that you can recognize the bias and not want to change it. 
right? Mm. Like, like I, and I think that's where, where I'm at. I, and I, I guess my, uh, I, I, and maybe, maybe it's, maybe we're, we're saying kind of the, the same thing here, but I, I, I want to evaluate science. I want to read, um, I want to read how people, other people are making their decisions. I want to take that in. I want to look at as much of the raw data as I can or whatever is presented and see if I make the same types of um, decisions or have the same type of of analysis or form the same types of of opinion. Um, But I am, I I am always, I, I, I look at it, in, as I have interacted with lots of people in the world of food science departments, I think there are folks in food science departments who are public health people. And I think there are folks in food science departments who are food industry people. And both of those groups have their, uh, a, they, they will look at the same type of data and make some different differing opinions because of those biases. And I'm, I'm just like straight out there. I'm a, I'm a public health person. Mm. Um, so I just sent you a, uh, I just sent an article. <laughs> yeah, you said, you just sent an article to, uh, to me and a couple of our colleagues because oh. you pasted it in the wrong window, but oh, it's well, okay. That's unfortunate for them. Maybe, uh, uh, it is relevant. Uh, maybe you were talking about cooking penguins. Uh, I, I don't might know. Have been, might have been <laughs> cooking penguins. Um, so here's, here's a situation where, um, you know, looking at the same data, Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is the article that I'm that we'll put in show notes is safe endpoint temperature for cooking whole raw poultry, Health Canada's recommendations. And um, there are a bunch of folks from Health Canada. Uh, the senior um, author on this and author for correspondence is Jeff Farber, who is no longer with Health Canada, but is at the University of Guelph. And and let's just say he retired. He wasn't forced out. <laughs> right, right. He retired. From- <laughs> Good point. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And he wasn't forced out, with- out because of this article. Yeah. So um, here's so I I think this is a fascinating example may, maybe not of bias but of of scientists looking at the same data and making different decisions and and having different differing opinions and so the the focus of this uh, um, of this paper that was published in Food Protection Trends was to look at available data and and see whether Health Canada's recommendations for cooking uh, poultry, which are currently and are still at, um, uh, well, no, we're, we're at 85 degrees Celsius, um, should be more in line with 74 degrees Celsius, which is 165 Fahrenheit, which is what USDA recommends. And so Health Canada looked at a lot of data and said, you know what? We're going to drop the temperature a little bit from 85 down to 82, but we're not going as far as 74. And it's not like any of this data is not available to others, mm-hmm. right? Like this, this is there's nothing proprietary here. When you when we look at um, all the references, it's not like uh, you know data not presented or or unpublished. Um, but 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 again, you've got a situation here where and I again I don't know the I don't know the whole history I do know that multiple times over you know a 15 year period um you know, Doug and I and and Barf blog we had asked this question of why are there different like why are there different temperatures for the same type of product and in that are you know raised in the same same way 
Um, and, uh, and here's the answer. It's like, well, um, we're, we're relooking at things and we're not going to change the temperature. Right. Or, sorry, right. I shouldn't say that. We are going to change it just not to, to harmonize those temperatures. Right. Right. And, and, and the, and the issue is that, um, they're trying to determine a safe endpoint cooking temperature. And, and I would submit to you that decision about a safe endpoint cooking temperature is a risk management decision, right? What's not in doubt is, um, kinetics for inactivation of microorganisms, right? Those are studies that can be conducted. There's going to be differences between studies, but you can, you know, eventually if you cast a wide enough net, you can get all of those studies. You can get all of those data points. You can plot them all together. You can look at them. You can look at thermometer temperatures and you can look at calibration of thermometers and you can look at ovens temperatures and calibration of ovens and you can look at consumer practices to see how if people are using the thermometers correctly. And you can go on and on and on and on and collect all of this data. But ultimately, and you could even do a risk assessment where you look at this and you look at that. But ultimately, you're going to have to make a decision about what constitutes a quote unquote safe endpoint cooking temperature. And that is a judgment. That is a risk management judgment. And so it's not, in fact, it's not surprising. It's good that Canada reviewed this, um, and, and it's good that they modified their temperature based on what they thought. And it's also perfectly fine that it doesn't match what the USDA recommendation is, right? And but but people need to understand why those numbers are different. And they're different because they were they're evaluated by different people um, with different risk tolerances that chose to make different decisions about what constitutes quote unquote safe. I, I like absolutely, and I, I you know I do. Um, I appreciate in in the article. I'm going to read from the last paragraph of um, the the discussion. Um, therefore, and then, you know, after sort of presenting, here, here's all the data that's available. Um, therefore, the recommendation of 82C still satisfies the requirement for a conservative margin of safety. Conservative margin of safety is a risk management decision. Right, and how could just how conservative do you want to be? Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And and so just to, to bring it back to the discussion on um, raw milk versus pasteurized milk, this I, I have I, it, it. It is a risk management decision, and what not mentioning pasteurized milk or mentioning pasteurized milk or whatever in a in an article isn't. Um, it, it, it misses kind of the nuance of, of all the, you know, all the stuff that I've learned from you over the last five years or so that we've done this podcast on risk and thresholds and what's the denominator and uh, like a whole bunch uh, of different stuff. And, and I, and I think that my email conversation this morning and where I kind of got a little saucy at the end is that, you know, we, the two of us can debate this whole thing, and it might be entertaining for someone if we did this on stage. Oh, it was entertaining for me. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but but it's like at the end of the day, it's like, are you either of you going to convince no. it? Either of you going to convince the other? Yeah. I mean, and what and what I think got your dander up, and it, it certainly gets mine up when I have conversations with with these folks that ha- are are definitely advocating for a particular position is like. Why are you are and I've made made this same comment before on the podcast. Why are you arguing with me? Right. right? 
Go argue with somebody who's entrenched on the other side. I am trying very carefully not to have an opinion, right? My my job is to look at the science. My, if, if, if New Jersey decides to legalize the sale of raw milk, my job is to help people make informed decisions, including dairy farmers, including consumers, including supermarkets, right? My job is to try to talk about the science. I don't want to have an opinion about raw milk. Now, I, 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 as I guess I said just a few minutes ago, I sure have an opinion about zero tolerance for listeria, but that is because I believe that that is something where I have an informed opinion. And I think if I advocate for my opinion, I can cause change, which will have a net benefit uh, on public health. I'm not sure me advocating for or against raw milk is really going to make that much difference. And so I would rather keep my powder dry for um, <laughs> zero tolerance, you know, right, rather, right. Than, rather than than spend time arguing over raw milk. It's like, well, if, if raw milk happens, it happens. If it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. And I'm, I'm fine. You know, I'm fine either way. Absolutely. And, and if I, I mean, this is, this is what, what started it. If I'm talking to a journalist about listeria, and they want to know things about like how might listeria get into something, and I want to tell them about well, and this is you know where where I went. Listeria might get into a food processing factory, can live for years on equipment. Um, it's a pathogen that's particularly problematic in food processing plants because it likes cold, moist, dark environments. Um, and it would would this would anything have changed had I said that? Outbreaks have been linked to raw milk, pasteurized milk, unpasteurized soft cheeses, pasteurized cheeses, deli meats. I mean, it doesn't doesn't really. Well, I can matter. tell you one thing that would have changed. <laughs> What's that? You you would have got back probably fifteen or thirty minutes of your time this morning because you yeah. wouldn't have had that email change. <laughs> That's right, and and I I'll tell you what else. Someone from the pasteurized dairy world would not have emailed me and saying, "Why did you say that we were linked to an outbreak?" <laughs> you know why? Because they know that they were late to an outbreak. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. there's there's stuff in – yeah. So I I don't know. But yeah, I would have gotten back. I, uh, although, Don, some days when I have trouble starting writing, a, an email discourse like what I had today helps me write. <laughs> Understood. So, Understood. So it was not a not a total not it, a total loss. As uh, as Merlin as Merlin Mann has uh, has said, uh, get your fingers moving. Yeah, exactly. Get your fingers moving. Oh. <laughs> thank you thank you um so uh, you know listeria safety uh talk here um my, our our good friend uh and i would say right now south african correspondent michelle daniluk yeah is in south africa as as per her title and uh, she's there. I don't. There's some. There's some big food safety meeting going on. Oh, you, you know who else is there? Friend of the podcast, uh, Manan Sharma is there and, apparently. Yeah, and other friends. They're, the they're shopping. They're shopping for clothing for other friend of the podcast, Larry Goodrich. Larry Goodrich, <laughs> who is who was supposed to be on today, but never never showed up. Oh, well, uh, um, forgot about that. Right, right. Uh, so um, yeah, Manan's there. Uh, Michelle's there, and Manan, friend of the pod and former guest, and. Other friend of the pod, Callie Neal, also in South Africa. So we, I feel like we're missing out, but I don't really want to. I've I've had enough travel. I don't want to go to South Africa. Anyway, uh, you know, I I love the idea of going to South Africa, especially <laughs> this time of year. But I I'm glad to be at my. I'm I'm working from home today, and I am loving it. Me too. Me too. So, um, uh, South African correspondent Michelle <laughs> sends is is talking at this big food safety conference. Sends uh, Laura Strawn and I an email message saying. 
holy crap, have you guys seen that there's this massive uh, Listeria outbreak going on here? They, the organizers of the conference have asked me to give a talk on Listeria tomorrow. So could you send me all of the slides that we have on our Listeria in retail and on farm cantaloupe? So I sent her a oh, bunch dear. of slides. And then, um, and I think this is a time change thing. Uh, I got a string of messages from Michelle uh, early this morning uh, that say, just to me, so 36 dead in South Africa. Um, this is 36 out of only 70 patients whose outcome they know. There are 480 patients who they actually don't have the outcome of. They absolutely expect more deaths, like in the hundreds of deaths, which is which is you know, scary. And and when I I mean when I saw the the numbers that are being reported, I thought, wow, that's a much lower fatality rate um, than we you know would normally see. Uh, I didn't realize that this was you know, uh, you know 36 out of 70 people that they've been able to follow up with. 36 have or have died. Um, the high percentage in the 15 to 49 age group of cases is linked to HIV and pregnancy. Ah, okay. Yeah, 40, 53% of the cases um, of neonates are uterine are in uterine infections. Um, and her, Michelle's message uh, was, everybody's really focused on raw meats, but I think it looks like an ingredient that goes into many foods. Um, and yeah, t- my response to her this morning was, yeah, and something yeah. that's not heated. Yeah, it's not it's not raw meat. That's 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 a getting down, going down the wrong road. Yeah, but uh, man, yeah, I I mean I don't know I don't know anything about um, uh, meat processing or meat consumption in, uh, in in South Africa. But if you know we look back at our um, issues in Listeria in the U.S. in food processing back twenty years, uh, deli meats would have uh, you know would pop up as let's start looking there. Um, as you know, as a potential uh, source for a massive outbreak like this, that is temporally not you know uh, affixed to a season. I mean, you've got almost a year on this, um, and with uh, lots of different um, age group individuals. I you know, I'd be looking. I, I agree with Michelle that you know maybe maybe some sort of um, ingredient. Uh, but, but also maybe it's a, maybe it's a deli meat or a deli salad or prepared food, ready food, uh, issue. Yeah. Well, and that, and that many cases over that amount of time, it's gotta be, if it's coming from a plant, it's gotta be like a Jensen farms situation or a, a bluebell situation where the, the, the plant is, is colonized. Right. And it's just pumping out contaminated product right. over Ooh. a long period of time. And I mean, you bring up Bluebell, also maybe a uh, really long shelf life on the product. Uh, yeah, I would I would say that's would be my guess. This is not this is not a uh, this is likely not a Jensen Farms situation because that's a fairly short window, right? So it's yep. got to be it's got to be some sort of a, a processed product. Um, yeah. Wow. Yeah, scary. I mean, scary stuff. Um, just just absolutely massive. When I saw. The first, you know, going through Google Alerts earlier this week and saw this outbreak, and I saw 500 plus cases of listeria. I don't think I have seen. I like even Pilgrim's Pride in 2002. I don't think was that was that big. I may be missing missing something there. Um, I'll Google it as we uh, uh, talk about it. But that, I mean, it's just that's a lot of people. A lot of people sick. 
Yeah, and I will say too that this is where uh, where our colleague Michelle is speaking is the I believe it is the third international conference on global food security, uh, which is uh, December uh, three through six in Cape Town, South Africa, and we will link to the uh, the conference webpage. Um, it's too late to go because it's December seventh as we record this, but um, you, it looks like a good was a good conference, really really good conference for speakers from around the world. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. We didn't except not us. We didn't get invited. Yeah, well, you know, Ben, we can't do all the conferences. I just like to be invited to them. <laughs> hey, Ben, I get invited to two or three conferences a day. I don't want to go to those ones. <laughs> I want to. I want to get. I just get invited to to really really cool ones. Um. So yeah, uh, Pilgrim's Pride. Don, how many people got sick? I don't know. I don't know. I'm trying to find it. Come on. Even Mar- Marler's outbreak illness database doesn't have number of illnesses. Here's a recall I link. C- I bet CDC's got it. I, yeah. FSIS has an old recall link that's just got like 800 million pounds of food. Oh, CDC may not may not list Pilgrim's Pride, though. It right, may just be. Right. Oh, that's true. Um, the the product name the you all know right. the category I'll get uh, I'll get all clickety clackety over here, um, you and I so I I've I've seen you a couple of times I mentioned this in the last uh, podcast but we haven't done like a real like you and me podcast in a long time because we were supposed to do one then I got summoned to DC and then you did it with Michelle and then the last one we did was with Gordon which was a fantastic. Uh, episode and we've received well, a lot of feedback on we it. have received a surprising amount of feedback um and people did really like gordon and, and actually i mean uh, you know it was it didn't feel like basically let's be let's be quiet he'll never he'll never listen no, to this, so no, let's just be br- brutally honest it, basically all we had to do was kind of invite him on and, and and then just occasionally you know throw him something and he would he was off and running right so it was a, it was a very it was a very uh easy lift as they say for us because uh, we just had to show kind of show up yeah it was is the gordon show and, yeah and people really like the gordon show so much so um i don't think we have this in the in the feedback but someone like contacted his company's customer service yeah line saying hey great job by you letting this crazy scottish guy on a podcast to talk about food safety he's made your company look really good which of course of course he would uh, but yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty cool to, to hear that kind of stuff as well. Well, Pop, and you know, it's, yeah. I would think too, I mean, I props to him for actually getting permission and doing it. Um, because like, I think a, I would say if we were to go out and ask, let's say a dozen or two dozen of our food safety friends that work in the industry, um, uh, can you come on our podcast and, and not be anonymous and actually say who you are and who you work for? I would venture to say that most of them either would decline or would ask corporate and corporate would say no. Right. right. So, so, so this, and this is, and so props to, of course, uh, Dr. Gordon Hayburn, uh, and also props to trophy foods for letting him do it because that, that was exactly the right thing. And it, it ended up with, and he didn't, you know, he didn't say anything bad about trophy foods. Of course not. He loves working there. It's a great company and, and it, it generated some good publicity for them absolutely i, I want to read the little bit of feedback and you know, we won't say the person's name but here are the exact words i'd like this is two general inquiries at trophy foods i'd like to compliment your company for allowing and encouraging 
uh, your VP of Food Safety and Quality, Mr. Gordon Habern, to speak on the Food Safety Talk podcast. As a Canadian who's been a customer of Trophy for some time, I was thrilled to hear that Trophy has employees like him who care so much about food safety and are so knowledgeable and respectful of food producers, both external to Trophy and in-house. The story about getting an, uh, to an A, AA plus audit score of the cost of special aid catered meal uh, for the people on the floor was hilarious. <laughs> yes, yes. So yeah, he's even like uh, even a little uh, like local uh, Canadian, um, you know, Swiss chalet reference. So, so people love that. People love that. Yeah. So so anyway, we haven't. Um, it's been like a month since you and I have actually done a a, a, a true a proper podcast, as they say. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, so I missed I missed our uh, I missed our dialogue. Although we did we did sit together and oh my gosh. Uh, we I can't let the podcast go without mentioning the addiction that you gave me uh, for about five days last week, which is <laughs> a uh, game of an iPhone game called uh, Universal Paperclips. Um, and it so I'm going to explain it, and out of context, it's going to talk. It's going to sound crazy, but essentially, the game is you're you're a, pa- a paperclip manufacturer, and you're making paperclips, and your job is to make more paper clips yep. and, and you need to get some stuff to make paper clips and then you got to uh, adjust yeah, the prices. You got to get, you, you get wire. You, you need, need wire. wire to make paper clips yep. and then you got to have a way to cut them. Yep. And um, then you don't want to keep putting the, you know, having your finger hit the button. You need automatically let's, let's have somebody else uh, hit the monkey, hit the button uh, for a while. Uh, and, uh, and, and so, and we, and so what I would say is, um, it's it's two dollars or a dollar ninety nine on iOS. Um, I would say just go search for it on iOS and pay the two dollars and play the game. Um, it there are web versions out there. There's a ton of information out there, but it's best not to spoil yourself. And I tried as I set you up for this game. I tried not to spoil you, um, and hopefully I was successful in that. Um, uh, it's a uh, you know it costs. I pl- I played the game through twice. It did take a lot of my time. Um, but, uh, having played it through twice, I feel like I've assuaged that, um, addictive part of my personality for a little, a little bit. And so it was good. Um, but I would say it's a, it's a real enjoyable two bucks, right? Like I, I enjoyed, I enjoyed playing that game more than I would have more than I enjoyed, let's say a latte from star, a two buck latte <laughs> from Starbucks. Okay. Right. Cause you've had so many lattes. This is something different. It was a different type of latte. Different. Yeah. Different yeah. Kind of latte. yeah. Uh, no, I agree. And I, you know, I don't, I'm not a, a, a person who spends a whole lot of, uh, money on apps. I'm a free, I'm a free app kind of guy. And you convinced me, you said, you know, this is worth it. How many lattes are you going to drink this month? Let's just have half of one. Just get a, you know, get three talls instead of, uh, uh, three grandes and, and you'll, you'll be able to afford this. And I did, and it was worth it. And I got to text you things like, um, I can't even use all the Yomi I have for more trust. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and we're not going to say any more than that. Okay. Nope. Except to say that, and, and the great thing, the great thing about this, we'll say a little bit more. The great thing about this game is like, it just, you just get dumped into the game. There is no, there's no, there's no explanation. It's just click this button or click that button and then see what happens. It's just totally, it's a lot like life. Like no one gives you the instruction manual. You just have to go figure it out. Yeah. I made that, uh, I made that comment to you. I said, I think this game is analogous to being a professor. (laughs) Yes. And, And like, I didn't even know that there was a specific phase when I was in grad school. And then the game opened up, like being a professor. I was like, oh, wait a second. There's this other phase I didn't even know about. Now I'm playing something different. <laughs> but I'm still, yep. making, still making paper clips. Yep, exactly. Uh, 
Um, so uh, I guess instant follow up. I don't know what the what the word is on on this. Uh, Fifty four illnesses in the large Pilgrim's Pride outbreak from two thousand and two linked to turkey deli meat. Um, so when you're looking at five hundred plus um, illnesses from listeria, I you know I, I can't I can't think of anything that matches this. Um, yeah, this is well, well, and and again, um, it, I I really I I hope we learn more. I think that there definitely is something about a susceptible population there in South Africa. If you have a, a large immunocompromised immunocompromised population, if you have people that are HIV positive and or who are pregnant, um, that is going to um, again, I would submit that we all eat listeria every day um, and uh, at, at moderately high levels. And fortunately, most of us are not immunocompromised. And so we don't uh, we don't suffer the ill effects. Uh, but if anything that you do to um, expose people to high doses, and especially if that is that is a population that is enriched or is, is a greater fraction that's immunocompromised, um, you're going to see you're going to see some problems. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and like I'm um, I, I look at this outbreak uh, similar to um, the E. coli. Uh, what was it? Oh, one thirty-one. What was the what was the sprout outbreak in in Germany a few years ago? Um, whatever. It was some shigatoxin producing E. coli. Oh yeah, it was a was a it was a was was nano one five seven eight nano one five seven. Yeah, yeah. Um, where where we we're just not like oh yeah oh one oh four H four. Um, in 2011, um, we, you know, I, we're, we're not privy to all the information, you know, and, and we, it was stuff like this happens in the U S I think you and I are a little closer to, uh, I'm maybe seeing, or the reporting's a little different. So this one we're, we're, I think we're just going to have to wait to, and hopefully can learn from it. Hopefully there's a peak to this outbreak, right? Like the, the as it gets investigated, people aren't just still getting sick. Um, yeah, exactly. So, uh, anyway, um, hey, so let's, uh, let's talk about, uh, just in time epidemiology training. Yes. So, uh, this comes from a friend of the podcast, um, who says you can read my message, but not my name. Uh, and he says, uh, just a local sanitarian here. Hey, listener, you are don't. not just anything. You are a local, you are a proud local sanitarian. So don't, don't, uh, don't, don't, uh, put yourself down. Salt, um, salt of the earth. Salt of the earth, boots on the ground, Yes. Um, front line of public health. Um, I was recently the lead of an outbreak that included a known agent and a 100-plus person guest list and a specific menu. It required that we utilize several different county health department personnel with different levels of interview training and discipline to reach out to all that attended the event for an interview survey that was developed by the state epidemiologist. I was wondering if there was a resource available that had just-in-time training for those staff that might not be as well-versed in asking questions without leading the interviewee onto a specific uh, agent or, or vehicle involved, uh, other interview faux pas. I thought this might have been a um, uh, uh, need for some of your research in the past and that you would too be the best people to ask for advice. I'm not sure we're the best people to ask for advice. Um, uh, oh, and then the listener goes on to say, I love the pod cast. So that, that's, uh, that's great. So obviously one of the in crowd, um, he was, he said he was sad. He missed the Neha live show. Keep up the good work. So thank you. Uh, thank you listener. Um, so yeah, um, I don't, this is a fantastic question. I don't know of an answer. Do you have any, any thoughts? I, I do. I got a book. Oh, oh man. Yeah. I, so we, we do. And, and, you know, thanks for asking a question and sort of highlighting, um, 
this idea that some of our research, especially we do quite a bit of in-depth interviews. Now, not from an epidemiological standpoint, but we're often interviewing people about what they did, why they did it, what they feel about something, how they made some decisions. And you know, a very salient example is uh, the study that, that we're doing right now um, as it relates to food handling in, in model kitchens. Uh, after we asked people to um, to um, you know make make this meal, we spend fifteen or twenty minutes with them, asking them, "Oh, well, so I noticed that you use a thermometer. Could you tell me a little bit more why?" Um, and it is a skill that it, I it, it, the people that are really good at interviews are are like uh, wizards uh, at this. I, it's something that that when I do interviews. I have to think over and over again in my head. Don't don't taint what the person's saying. Don't like ask your question. Get out. And if they need mm -hmm. a probe, make sure that probe is not related to a specific answer. But you're asking them to give more information about what they've already said. Don't don't like as the as the listener says. Don't don't lead them. And so the book that I'm will put in show notes mm -hmm. um, is a book called The Long Interview. Um, by uh, Grant McCracken, and uh, um, this is uh, a, 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 a I don't know when the first version of this came out. It's one that I've used, um, gosh, over the last. Uh, yeah, this is from 1988. I've used it mm. since I since I was doing my um, my PhD, um, and uh, it, it is it's an excellent excellent book. It's very short, and essentially says here's. Uh, there's there's a portion of the book that says here's how you write long interview questions, and then there's a portion of the book that that focuses on okay, so you got the questions here here here's body posture. These are things to keep in mind um, when making eye contact, uh, and and when you know one of the things that that I catch myself doing as as a device, um, which is not great. Uh, is as someone's answering a question, I'm constantly like either like nodding my head or you know saying uh huh uh huh, and I'm trying to draw more information out. And and you know uh, McCracken talks a little bit about you know essentially not doing that, uh, mm -hmm. but uh, but does a, does a really great job sort of setting it up. So I would this this is um, for any of my students that that do inter, in depth interviews. This is uh, required reading for them. And it's and it's available on Amazon. It's pretty good, actually. I think you can probably find it online for free somewhere. Yeah, and it's a digital download from Amazon for only fourteen dollars and uh, sorry, four dollars and nineteen cents. I do I do have to read I do have to read. The, so there's 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 several uh, customer reviews on Amazon, but I have to read one. Um, and this is an interview from um, Mel. Uh, Linsta, who interviewed reviewed the book on September 23rd, he gives the or she, he or she the, the reviewer gives it three stars, and the review consists of the line, "It's a textbook." <laughs> yes, it <laughs> so, is. Yes, it so, is. So, so you know, if if you are looking for a book entitled "The Long Interview," which is not a textbook, this is not um, this is not the uh, one that you are looking for. <laughs> uh, I. I didn't even think to look at the reviews, and I was so now. I'm <laughs> I always look at the reviews love, on Amazon. Seminal work of McCracken, a little dry but purposeful. <laughs> yeah, no, it's yeah. a. So, I, I mean, I, it's a great, it's a great book, um, and you know, like, like I said, it's one where 
I try to I I try to provide this early on in someone's studies as okay let's if we know you're going to be using in-depth interviews let's think about it right from the start what what do you have to be ready for in questions and and he does a really good job just like outlining objectives it's yeah i, I think it's an awesome it's an awesome spot to yeah, to yeah and, so, and this is this is a great recommendation i'm so glad that you had a recommendation i would say that though um in response to the listener I, st- I think that this is still an opportunity, right? Like, like, yeah, this is a great book, but it sounds like what they needed instead of like, go read this book right. was like, Hey, we're going to give you a one hour training session. Here's a PowerPoint deck with a script, um, you know, or something that you can listen to. So yeah, by all means read the book, but, but you don't, we don't have time for that, right? We got to get these people ready. Um, and so what's, you know, what can we do that takes half an hour or an hour that basically distills down the essence of this book for people that are going to do these interviews. So, right. yeah. And uh, I, I don't have a, yeah, a good answer for that. I wonder though, if there is somebody, um, out there in, in epidemiology, you know, at CDC or, um, at any of, uh, the school of public health that, that train epidemiologists that, that does, that has that, that, you know, part of, uh, part of their training, from an epidemi- epidemiologist standpoint, but may not filter down to um, a, you know, a local um, EHS or, or san- you know, local sanitarian, um, that there may be some stuff out there that, that we can pull from right, right now. Yeah. So if anybody who's listening to this knows or has any tips um, or just wants to comment, uh, please do let us know. Um, if anybody wants to collaborate on such a thing, uh, we can put you in touch with anonymous uh, local sanitarian um, and uh, you guys can work on that. Because this sounds like something that would be a really, um, really good thing, really actually relatively easy and, and useful thing to do that could get a lot of uh, traction out there if, if somebody's interested. So, yeah, absolutely. Um. So for a friend of the podcast, uh, Carl Custer, we've, we've got a little bit of follow-up. We've got a, we need, we need to do this. Okay. Um, and for a couple of reasons, one, Carl has been such a source of great information for us. And I, I love Carl's an inspiration, um, to me as I get older and think about at some point I'm going to retire and fade out of food safety. And I'm, he is still, he still emails me like three times a week about things that he's reading about papers that he finds interesting. He's still, he's still so, so active. I love, I love that. It's, it's awesome. So he, he sent you and I and a bunch of other, uh, food safety nerds like us, a message, uh, uh, last week, a uh, week and a half ago that says, FYI, once a year, I send this out to reporters. I know mm. Theodore Escherich, <laughs> born, November 29th, 1857, died February 15th, 1911, was a German-Austrian pediatrician and professor at Universitas in Grasse and Vienna. He discovered the bacterium Escherichia coli, which was named after him in 1919 and determined its properties. At least once a year, follow the scientific writing rules and write the genus name Escherichia before using the abbreviation E. It would make his mother proud. <laughs> well, and in fact, it's required. Uh... Yes, but in the world of uh, of journalism, you know, Don, for every Escherichia is an E dash coli. Oh, oh, God. So angry. <laughs> so angry. Oh, that's good. Um, so there's another little bit of fun stuff that we saw uh, yesterday on the on the Twitter. Someone uh, brought to our attention. Uh, breaking news. Breaking news. <laughs> Health Canada tightens food safety regulations by changing the five second rule to three seconds. 
Uh, so we'll link to this in show notes. This is a um, a, uh, a story in the Beaverton, which is uh, Canada's answer to the onion. Yes. Um, which is uh, you know, some satire. Uh, Health Canada and the Canadian Food Inspection Agency are changing their food safety regulations and guidelines on eating something that fell on the floor. When it comes to consuming dropped food items, quote, three seconds is the new five, explained Dr. Larry Bin of Health Canada's salvaged food, salvaged food safety division. Whether the item be a slippery vegetable in a stir fry, a greasy peanut, or a runaway smarty, count to three, not five. Those two extra seconds can make a world of a difference as the bacteria will have less time to race across your floor to the food item in question. Uh, it's good. Good job. Um, so Don, you know, as, as I read this and I saw it, uh, you know, someone tagged us in it, and then I thought of uh, calling uh, directly to you, but then someone else did. Uh, and, you know, uh, this is uh, this is all because of you, Don. This is uh, you investigated the the five second rule, and uh, I, I guess we don't have a whole lot of data on the three second rule. So, no, but we can we can interpolate, right? Uh, I would I would be happy to offer predictions uh, as to what what would uh, what would happen in the, in three seconds. So, um, also there's a lot of there's other good information here in this Beaverton article. Um, Safe food cooking temperatures will also be changed from good enough to pretty uh, to pretty hot, but sizzling hot will remain the standard for sausages cooked on a barbecue on a hot summer day, <laughs> as well as the smell check for expire, expired milk. Splashing some water over your hands after using the washroom before meal preparation will be strictly enforced for both private and commercial cooking. So, you know, props, props to the Beaverton. Yeah, it's good. It, it was good stuff. And it's nice when food safety makes it into uh, popular culture. Indeed. Um, speaking of which, uh, there was a little bit of a little bit of crossover. Um, my my favorite hockey team, uh, the Toronto Maple Leafs, uh, had a uh, uh, one of one of their players, Tyler Bozak, missed a couple of practices this week uh, due to what's being reported as food poisoning, um, and this uh, sent the Toronto uh, sports media into a tizzy. Because uh, William Nylander, uh, Don, uh, you may may have I, – I know you follow the team real closely. Very uh, close. William Nylander, uh, in, in those two practices that Tyler Bozak missed, went from playing uh, on the fourth line to uh, centering the third line. So Nice. I bet he's happy about that. I'm sure he was. Uh, food po- there's, It's the positive spin on food poisoning. Um, so, uh, I'll, we'll link to this in the, uh, show notes, but, uh, Tyler Bozak, who was, uh, says that he got food poisoning in Vancouver, uh, as, you know, as many people do, I guess, um, uh, said, uh, I had quite a bad case and I was throwing up for a few days. I thought it was over. Came to the rink Monday. When I got here, it started again and I went home. Hopefully I'm over it. It's been a tough few days. Now I have to get my energy back. Yep, absolutely. Rest up, get plenty of fluids. Yeah, score Don't some goals. Don't make anybody else sick. Yeah, exactly. We're, yeah, and all that stuff, but also like get out there on the ice and score some goals, you big baby. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Tyler, good stuff. So, uh so what else? What else we gotta we gotta talk about, Don? Well, you know the problem is Ben. We've had we've had all of these uh, guests on the show, and we've got we've got good stuff, uh, you know, put in the in the Dropbox. But but then uh, then you know we just go on and 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 don't talk about it. And now it's old news. So it, it is old news. Um, was there something else I wanted to talk about? Uh, I did something. Oh, um, 
there was something something I wanted to uh, uh, talk to you talk to you about. Um, I I went to uh, Richmond, Virginia the other day uh, and gave a talk to the Virginia Department of Health on lots of food safety things. But I met a couple of people who will be uh, part of the local arrangements committee for the conference for food protection. Oh, and they were extremely awesome, uh, awesome people. Uh, uh, Julie uh, was uh, was one of them, one of my one of my hosts, and Perry was uh, was the other uh, individual who invited me. Uh, it was a it was a really cool uh, uh, you know, play. I, I went I went to one place in Virginia, and then three hundred people um, video linked in to me uh, while I was there, and there was like twenty or so people in the room. But uh, there, Richmond is very excited, uh, or at least the the uh, food safety nerds in Richmond are very excited to to host us when we go. And um, with not not really breaking news, but news. Uh, neither of you will be. Neither of us. Not neither of you. Neither of us will be serving on a council. Uh, although we'll both be there. Uh, hopefully, stepping up to the microphone and adding our scientific wisdom. Yeah, indeed. And I have not been uh, approached by any of my colleagues to uh, to work on an, writing an issue. Um, I, I'm hoping – so we did have a paper published <clears throat> that we've talked about before on bulk soap or a paper accepted for publication on bulk soap. Uh, and I hope uh, hope that uh, we can present an issue on that because it, it is important. Um, I will say also uh, one of the things that I'm looking forward to um, <clears throat> with respect to CFP is – our report on um, uh, foods that are sent via common carrier that are ordered over the internet. Um, I did do an interview uh, with a television station who's very interested, and they wanted to know if they could get an advanced copy of the report, and I said no. And and then they talked about, well, the re- what about the research that you did at Rutgers University with meal kits? And I'm like, well, we didn't really do any research on meal kits. <laughs> it was actually on um, you know uh, like Omaha steaks and other protein delivery businesses. It wasn't um, you know it wasn't any of the, the common uh, meal kit businesses and um, and and then they're like, well, so what can you tell us? And it's like, well, I can't tell you the names of the companies. And they're like, well, you know, if you can't do it that for us, it's not really a story. And I'm like, yeah, I know, but you <laughs> you you called me, right. right? Like I'm 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 looking to help you write a story. I'm not looking to get publicity for my research because it's not. I didn't I didn't. I mean, we did some research, but I'm not. Yeah. Anyway, so it was it was it was an odd conversation. <clears throat> it was weird. Like I thought they they thought maybe they were going to help me, and I thought I was going to help them. And yeah, it was it was just a weird conversation. But anyway, I was happy to talk with reporters about, um, you know, uh, f- you know, foods that are sent uh, sent via common carrier. And I, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting our report out there and hopefully be able to share it with people. But uh, yeah, so I'm I'm looking forward to Richmond, Virginia, in in April. Me too. It's. Uh, um... I, I want to encourage folks, and you know, I know it's not a, um, it's not a cheap week uh, by by any means, uh, especially for for the folks who listen to the podcast who are in uh, state and, and local uh, health departments. But being part of the process of making recommendations to the food code is really quite, I, you know, to me personally impactful. Um, not not, and I, I don't say that like personally impactful like it's it's good for, you know just just for me but I, I think good we have a you have a chance to be part of this process that uh you know gets rolled out in this model food code that goes everywhere throughout the u.s um that's adopted at various levels but uh it is it's a very cool process um i have uh, i mentioned before that uh our my department 
recently in Cooperative Extension, North Carolina has hired area specialized agents in food safety. Uh, there are eight of them, but three uh, who reside in my department are focused on retail and food service, food safety, as well as consumer food safety. And I, I've encouraged them to to come to CFP this year just to sit and watch and see how the debates happen. And and it's a bit. Um, you know, it's it, it's not it's not for everyone, and and you don't I don't think people go to CFP to learn the newest science on something, but it is not like anything else I've ever been uh, part of or or to. So it's it, my my plug for um, for signing up for CFP and and going and and really just uh, meeting and, and uh, uh, lots of different folks that, that are stakeholders in the food code. It's it's pretty cool. Yeah, if you're at all interested in food safety policy and how it gets made, um, this is a really interesting conference. And I think back to, I think I first learned about it from um, from Mike Dolan, who is uh, was um, a scientist at Gojo. And uh, Mike um, actually, you know, started when, when we started doing some hand washing research. Mike, Mike, uh, kind of spent some time talking to me, and he he really had a, a great affection for the meeting and and for the kind of the way that FDA comes in with their playbook about what they want to get done, and uh, just just really really sold me on it, right? Like so, sold me on the, the the policy side, the you know the kind of the not the smoke filled room, but the you know the the back and forth and the and all that happens. And again, if you have any interest in in seeing food safety policy be made um, for all the good and the bad that that uh, that that entails? Um, yeah, it's uh, it's it's really an interesting uh, it's it really an interesting experience if you can if you can take the time and, and I would say even if you can't take the time to go to the meeting, if this sounds vaguely interesting to you, um, become a member. Um, it's not that expensive. And then you can serve on committees and, uh, those don't cost anything except your time. Um, and especially if you are a, a local, uh, public health person, we are always looking for good local health, public health people to serve on these committees. And so, um, it's a great chance to, like I said, even if you don't go to the meeting, it's a great chance to be part of the process. So, um, yeah, so check, check that out. If you, if you don't know about it already um, absolutely <clears throat> well don i don't know this might be might be an episode that might be a show i think so it's not a not a long one but it was jam-packed full of uh of exciting uh listeria talk and in, in emails and i do have a heart out today i have a um I have, to, I have some some children to go pick up at school and they are they're my children so it's not not super creepy, uh, and I'll be taking them to hockey practice. You're not going to cruise the the malls for uh, for 14 year old girls, are you? Oh, not I'm not. It's not, good. It's not Alabama, Don. This is, uh, and that's only uh, North Carolina. Yeah, it's not. And then there, that's, that's that's the end of that uh, conversation. Um, <laughs> so uh, thanks uh, thanks again for lis- the listener feedback. Um, uh, and, and as as always, uh, we appreciate anybody uh, sending stuff our way. It gives us something to talk about and uh, to react to. And uh, you and I are going to be we're going to be on the road this summer. Uh, we have a road trip. We're going. I, I, it looks like sounds like we're going to go to Michigan, um, and uh, maybe we may end up uh, on a panel in Chicago uh, sometime this May or this uh, spring as well, or next spring. So. Uh, if people want to uh, want us to come out and chat like uh, like we do here and do some live in person food safety talk, let us know. Yeah, we're uh, we're up for it. We are. All right, Don. We'll talk to you later. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye.
Cool. So I've got, uh, just by coincidence, um, I've got this, my Safari window blocking my iMessage window, uh, which is really good because it's, it's all I can see is your white, white belly and your shirt <laughs> and the, the, the gross uh, defect that is, is that wound on your chest is covered by my Safari window and I don't want to move it. We, you are totally fine to use this picture uh, huh? in, in the in the post. I think it's. I tried to make it so like there's no like there's no nipple. There's some hair. It is white. You got my beard huh? in there. It's it, artistically. I think it was one of my some of my best work. Well, this is uh, this is 141, dude. So this is an odd one. This is yours. Oh, it's you mine. Feel exactly. free to use your nipple. I may I may do this. Yeah. When you're, you blow you're it up, nippleless. This, yeah, this wound is it's quite it's quite striking. I'm I'm not gonna look at it again. Don't look at thank, it anymore. Yes, I remember yeah. it's quite striking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm gonna go, I'm gonna move another window, I'm gonna completely cover that up. I don't now I'm not seeing any of your body. It's probably <laughs> probably best. Probably best. I have there's my my dog is is barking. I'm not sure. Oh yeah, I'm not sure why. I think he might be outside. Danny's working on some signs. She has a show tonight, mm. and a sh- and a show Saturday, and a show Sunday. So there's a lot of a lot of wood cutting and sanding and painting going on uh, in my house right now. She's a regular Bob Vila. She is a regular Bob Vila. Or Tim she, Taylor. She's she's got it all. She's a she's a Mike Holmes. She's a uh, she's a property guys. She's everything uh, everything Home and Garden TV. <laughs> uh, right now, though, she's not a uh, uh, Caesar Caesar Romero Caesar who's Caesar the, Milan Milan. She's not a Caesar Milan. She's not a, or she's also not Caesar Romero, who I think played the Joker. <laughs> He's the Joker. Yeah. <laughs> she's she's neither neither Caesar. Um. So let's. I can we? Do you think we can try and uh, do another one of these before uh, before the holidays? Are you absolutely? Yeah, I'm. I'm good. So that week of the 18th, um, my kid, one kid is off, one kid is not off. So I'm gonna be. I'll be at home. Um, the 21st, two weeks from today, is probably not a good day because Jack has a chess tournament in the afternoon. We could do it in the morning of the 21st. Okay, but um, I can do the 20th or the 19th. All right, hold on. Um, boy, your dog is loud barker. He is. He's very. He, he's small but powerful because he's. It's more <laughs> of this like, um, basset hound yo howl. When I come home, it is like all that he can do to not like spread his howl throughout the entire neighborhood. It's really loud. <laughs> this is just like, hey, someone's left food on a countertop, and if I bark long enough, they're gonna give it to me. It sounds like that's a good idea. Yeah. That works. That's works. That's a good strategy. Um, so tell me again those dates. So I could do the morning of the 21st, which is Thursday, or before like 9 a.m. on Wednesday the 20th, or like uh, 2 till do- 4 on the 20th. Uh, uh, yeah, twentieth is not as good for me. Twenty first is 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 wide open. So let's do the morning on the twenty first. Yeah, let's try. It. Let's go with like nine thirty till eleven thirty. Sounds good. And that gives me time to get like some stuff done, and then uh, I can get. Jack has this uh, chess tournament twelve thirty, so I want to go. I want to go watch it. Cool. Yeah. Um, okay, so 9.30 to 11.30, that's FST, FST 142. Yep. 
Cool. And I've got this one. If you can yep. shoot me the um, links. Yep. Will that, do. Then I'll uh, I'll get this this up. I may be able to do this. I gotta I gotta. We, this, this is what my my Thursdays consist of. So we have hockey cool. practice at um, five forty. So I will go pick. Uh, I usually what I do is I pick Jack and his um, teammate up because they go to the same school, and then we have time to kill after because I have to pick them up at three forty five, but we don't have to be on the ice until 5:40 so they don't have to get dressed until 5 so it's like mm-hmm. an hour so we usually go sit at Panera and they play on their iPads and I work so huh. I may be able to get um get the uh podcast edited cool and if not I'll do it tonight okay sounds good awesome. uh, I will I'm putting the uh putting the th- links in the show notes right now perfect awesome All right, so we are confirmed for next time. Um, We got the jobs straight, and we're good to go. Good to go. All right, Don, talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye.